0: need to do all that we can to be able to answer some specific questions that you might be asking in light of this issue of forgiveness and reconciliation. So here's what I want to do. I want to try to answer seven questions this morning. Uh, This is normally not what we do, but I promise I will be biblical and theological the best that I possibly can, um, but what I will do is, is, is I want to try to answer all seven of these uh, questions. Now, I may get to all of them. I may not be able to. It just depends on how quickly you listen. Okay. All right. If you listen quickly, we'll be able to get through it. If not, I may not be able to get through the whole thing. So here are the seven questions. Now, all of this is in light of all that we've learned. Okay. So here's question number one. Does forgiving a person always require an attempt at reconciliation? Good question, right? Let, let me repeat it again. Does forgiving a person always require an attempt at reconciliation? It's a good question. I think it's a, a, a common question that is often asked. And let me say this. It's also an extremely difficult question to be able to answer. Uh, the reason is, is because every situation is different. Relationships are different. Sins are different, Right? And so, what I would say is, yes, uh, there are some circumstances which I think the Bible says that we should always seek some type of reconciliation, at least make attempt." There are other relationships where I don't think it's nearly as necessary in those. But uh, I think that you would agree it would be impossible, and I discovered this this week, it would be impossible for me to answer every single question concerning reconciliation that that you might be facing this morning. It's impossible because I took Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday to try to do it, and I couldn't do it right? Every time I thought it ha- I had it licked, uh, one of our, sec- our financial secretary uh, uh, w- would basically say, ask me another question, and then it would blow up everything that I had written, all right? So here's what I'm going to try to do. Uh, I want to try to give you some overall principles to help you, to guide you through your particular situation, and begin to understand what the Word says, and then through the presence of the Holy Spirit, you, be in- you begin to determine what the answer is for you through God's Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this before I do that. If you still, after this, don't don't know what the answer is or or you've got questions that I don't cover here this morning, I want to seriously, sincerely encourage you to see one of our elders. See one of our elders. Go to them. Howard Kloss is here. Uh, we've got uh, Jimmy Black. We've got so many others. Matt Linebach, all of the elders, they're here to try to help you and to be able to lead you through these issues biblically. And I believe and I have confidence in them to be able to do that. So let me let me begin here. Let me let me suggest this that there are two primary passages that we find in the New Testament, that deals specifically and in, in, in instruct us on this issue of reconciliation. One is found in Matthew chapter 5, and the other is found in Matthew chapter 15. All right. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 23, says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and therefore, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and what? Go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So this is speaking of a scenario in which you remember that you've sinned against another brother, and there's a need of reconciliation there, and he's telling us to what? We've sinned against somebody else, we need to make it right, go. All right, so then we have Matthew chapter 18. This is also about reconciliation, but it's on the opposite, it's from the opposite perspective. In in this case, it's about a person who has been sinned against and the steps they need to take to be able to reconcile the situation. Matthew 18, 15 says this, he says, if your brother uh, sins against you, go and tell him his fall between you and him alone, all right? So there it is, coming and going, uh, sinning against and being sinned against. What are the principles? Let me give you three of them. First of all, if there is a relationship that you are presently in that is fractured by sin, seek to reconcile with that person. Let me read it again. If there is a relationship that you are presently in that is fractured by sin, seek to reconcile with that person. Person. Now, I know we've got tons of questions. People have asked me, what about relationships that were broken 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago? Well, look, before we begin to go way in the past, let's deal with the present, okay? Because both of the contexts of Matthew chapter 5 and chapter in Matthew chapter 18 deal with the here and the now. So when you're thinking through forgiveness and reconciliation, I want you to think about your oikos, the sphere of influence around you, the people that you meet every day, that you talk with, the people that you have a relationship with on a regular basis, whether it be on phone or text or email or within your own home, think family, friends, other church members, other believers in Jesus Christ, co-workers, if there is a fracture because of sin within one of those relationships, and you immediately know which relationships I'm talking about, the Bible's commanding us to go and to be able to reconcile. Now, there's an important aspect of this, and that is it doesn't matter whether you are at fault or not. That's important. The Bible says, for the believer in Jesus Christ— he, he or she must always seek to be reconciled to everyone as long as it is possible for him to be able to do so. Got that? And we're going to get that, to that in just a minute. That means that it doesn't matter whether they've sinned against you or sinned against them. If you've sinned against someone, seek to reconcile. If someone's sinned against you, seek to reconcile. Now, that's important because many of us have said this, or at least heard others say this. We've said something like, hey, listen, I'm not the one with the problem. I'm not the one that the problem. I'm not the one that did something wrong. If, if he wants to do something, reconcile and talk with me, then he knows where I live, right? And there's this attitude, and uh, to be honest with you, it's just not a godly attitude. It's not a godly attitude. A believer seeks to be reconciled with all people as it is possible for him to be able to do so. Principle number two. If there is a fracture, if there is a fractured relationship that distracts you from serving the Lord, then seek reconciliation. This is what's happening re- really in chapter five. Here's a guy that's just trying to serve the Lord. He's trying to he's trying to uh, worship God by giving an offering, but his mind is somewhere else. It's not on God at all. His mind, the emphasis there is on the word remembering. Remembering, it's the idea that you can't get it out of your mind. This kind of this describes and kind of explains some of what we ought to do maybe with the past, right? If there's a relationship in your past that has been fractured and broken, and especially if you're the one the cause of it, that you've sinned against somebody else and you still can't get past it. It's still something in your life that, that, that you constantly be reminding of and there's guilt that's weighing on you and, and you have regret about what it is that you ultimately did. I believe that if you're not being able to get away from that, you have to trust that it's the Holy Spirit that is leading you to be able to seek some type of reconciliation. So number one is if it's something in the present that's been broken by sin, either yours or theirs, seek to reconcile. If it's something that's keeping you from moving forward in your relationship with God, in your relationship with other people, guess what? Seek to reconcile. But there's a third principle here. The third principle is this, understand that reconciliation may not be possible. Reconciliation may not be possible for three reasons. First of all, there may be a lack of forgiveness extended. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times that I've desperately sought forgiveness. There are times that I've blown it. Are there times that you've blown it? And you go and the Holy Spirit begins to convict you and however it might be, your sin is brought to you. And the only thing I want to do, and my wife will say this about me, is I cannot stand with relationships being in disorder. Can't stand it. I'm the guy that sits there and says, hey man, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You got to reconcile. I'm like, right now. It's two in the morning. You may get a phone call from me, all right? We've got to deal with this because I can't, I can't, I can't move on. We, we, these things have got to be settled. But the truth of the matter is there have been times that I have I've gone to somebody and, and, and I've said, hey, w- would you forgive me? I didn't treat you in the right way. I, 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 I responded in the wrong way, and it's sin. Would you forgive me? And, and I've experienced what it's like to somebody very graciously, very lovingly saying, brother, oh, I forgive you. Man, I wasn't holding that against you anyway, is what they often say. But to be able to receive that forgiveness, isn't it a wonderful thing? And to sit there and go, okay, everything is right. We can we can move on now. We can, we can continue to grow in our friendship. But I've been on the other side as well. But I'm on the other side where I know that I've hurt somebody and I've so desperately wanted to seek their forgiveness. And I've gone to them and I've pleaded with them. I'm so sorry for what I've done. It's sin in my life. I've confessed to God. I need to confess to you. I'm asking your forgiveness. and I'm asking for reconciliation. And I've had times where people had refused to extend forgiveness. They're angry. They're mad. I understand that. They're like, I'm not going to forgive you. What you did to me is unforgivable, whatever that might be. I'm sorry. It was a parking spot. I didn't really mean to, but, you know, whatever it is. But for whatever m- reason, they would not extend forgiveness. And when they don't, listen, reconciliation may be impossible. Because you may be able to forgive somebody, but reconciliation is always this, it always takes two to be able to truly be able to reconcile. And if you're here today and you've made a mess of things and you've sought reconciliation and forgiveness from somebody and you have and somebody's unwilling to forgive you, let me just encourage you with this, God has. If you've repented and you've gone to him, let that be sufficient, let that be enough for you. It may not be possible because there might be a lack of forgiveness extended. Second, there might be a lack of repentance we lack of repentance. You can't truly reconcile with somebody who is unrepentant. We see this sometimes in, in, in some marriages where there might be some physical abuse within the marriage of some type. And, and what happens is, is they sit there and we say, listen, you need to forgive your husband for this. Okay, I have, but we need to reconcile. Okay, let's work through reconciliation. But if that, son, if, if that man does not repent and cease from his sinful action against his wife, he refuses to repent and he can't ultimately be reconciled. Does that make sense? So two things, sometimes uh, reconciliation may not be possible because of a lack of forgiveness extended, because of a lack of repentance on the part of the offender. Or number three, reconciliation may simply be inappropriate. Reconciliation may simply be inappropriate. In this third case, there are some sins that may be so grievous that reconciliation may not be safe. In the case of, of rape, Or abuse of a child and you know exactly what I mean by that and either way physically physically sexually whatever it might be it may be sin a, a sin that is that is so severe and so egregious that any type of reconciliation and restoration of that relationship may at least at the present be impossible and it may be unwise for the safety of that individual either for that abused woman or for that abused child or whatever it may be, it may just not be possible. Somebody had objected to me and said, well, listen, if there's not seeking of reconciliation, then there simply is not forgiveness. And I would agree, I would disagree with that. What I would say is in this particular case, the sin was so grievous the consequence of their sin is them giving any up uh, any right to a continuation of this particular relationship. That is the type of sin that sometimes we commit. Now, I will say this. I have known folks who have been abused. You're looking at a man who has been abused in those ways. And I can tell you that in hindsight, when that man grows up and if God does something in his life, that even then, grace covers that, and he is willing not only to forgive, but to be able to reconcile in those people. That is how good and great and gracious God's love and mercy is. So those are three things. Sorry, I didn't mean to kind of go there, but this is, this is just a principle. Romans twelve eighteen says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. Seek to reconcile when you can. In the present relationships that you have, if you can't get past something from the past, then go and revisit that past. Try to seek reconciliation, especially if you have not been forgiven or sought forgiveness of an individual. And then sometimes just rest in God's grace and understanding sometimes it's impossible. Is that helpful? Is that helpful? You guys aren't nearly as responsive as the first group. I don't know what's going on. You had an extra hour of sleep. Let's go to the second question. When should I, for, when should I confront another concerning their sin? When should I confront another concerning the sin in their life? Let, let, let me say this. Sometimes I would say that there is, I believe that the Bible teaches us and commands us that we should have a general gracious tolerance for each other. Yes? A gracious tolerance towards each other. Why? Because you and I are a little rough around the edges. Would you agree with that? We were saved and we were, we were given eternal life with God for all eternity, not because we won the righteous award, but because of his grace and his mercy that he extended to us. Would you agree with that? And so he's changed us and he's regenerated us. But I don't know about you, but I've got a long way to go. I've got all kinds of nicks and cracks and and rough edges that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, is, so if I'm gonna be in a relationship with you and you're gonna be in a relationship with me and we're with each other, we need to have a certain level of grace that we're continually willing to be able to extend each other. And that means in the word of God that that means that it is imperative that we don't get bogged down with petty and unintentional sins that might be committed against us. I cannot tell you how important this part is. Some of you, and I say this as your pastor who loves you dearly, you are way too sensitive. Way too sensitive. Listen, not everybody is out to get you. Not everybody hates you. Not everybody has something against you. In fact, I don't know if this makes you f- feel better, they may not even know you exist, all right? You're like, oh no, now that's a whole nother problem, right? But I'm just, I'm just telling you that not everybody is against you and there just has to be a level of, if we're gonna commune it all together, that, 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 that this, this grace has got to be extended. I think this is what was on the mind of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what he writes. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, notice this part. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity in the spirit of the bond of peace. The word bearing there speaks of a purposeful overlooking of the offenses of other people. This is a very important truth for us. Here's why. Because there were some people who hold Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18, the teachings there of approaching uh, people with sin, and they look at that and they say, this has got to happen with every sin. Every sin in the church. If you see somebody sin, you need to be a sin sniffer and you need to go after it and you need to confront it. Somebody's got to repent. Somebody's got to forgive. Somebody's got to reconcile, right? And so they literally are like the sin police. I mean, every time you say something, they're sitting there going, you just sinned against me. Let's sit down. What, what time do you have that we can sit down and begin to reconcile and work this out? You sinned against me. God says to come to me. And it's like this, this sense of like ultra spirituality or whatever, when really it's not ultra spirituality, it's immaturity in some cases, and so what you're sitting there and you're just like, man, take a spiritual chill pill, right? You know, just relax just a little bit. And, and so what the Bible is calling us to do, I think, is the Bible is calling us to, to, when the Bible speaks of reconciliation with others, which involves formal confrontation and resolving of a conflict, I don't think it is speaking of every minor infraction. Remember, that when the Bible gives us these instructions, he's trying to help us to have peace and to be unified, not to divide. Look, stop and think about it for a minute. If you and I spent every single moment of our day confronting every time we think somebody has sinned against us, said something against us, thought something about us, we would get nothing else done, but constantly keep trying to work through this. And guess what? Nobody would have any fun, right? If you're that guy and that woman, I can guarantee friendships are impossible for you, all right? So what do we have to do? The Bible calls us to have some level of, uh, of thick, spiritual thick skin, graciously showing love to each other by overlooking minor sins against us. I think G- this is what Jesus had in mind again in Matthew chapter 5 verse 39 through 40 when he when he says whoever slaps you on the right cheek turn the other to him. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt let him have your coat. Also, do you see that spirit? Just, just allow some of these minor things. I don't know if slapping in the face is minor, but apparently Jesus it is, right? But, but, but just minor, just, just live with that, that, that high tolerance and in grace towards one another that we extend. So now let me actually answer the question. All right, that was all, re- remember, when do I approach somebody? With all that said, let me do it as biblically as I possibly can. Just speak where the Bible speaks and remain silent where it's silent. Number one, Uh, we need to approach uh, somebody concerning their sin when sin hurts others, when their sin hurts other people. Uh, When you observe a serious offense to a person other than yourself, you need to confront that offender. Uh, In Exodus chapter 23, verse 6, he says, "'You shall not pervert the justice due to you "'to your needy brother in his dispute.'" In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17, it says, learn to be good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. You and I are called of God to be defenders of the weak. When you and I seeing injustice done by another person, listen, it's time for you to stand up and say something. I would love for churches to be able to get this. Uh, 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 of course, other churches, not our own right I mean you know because we're perfect but other churches that have not arrived where we are uh many times you know it's always a squeaky wheel that gets the grease they're they're out there and they're saying things and they're causing discord and everybody else remains silent it is not a time to remain silent when somebody is harming another brother and sister in Christ it's time for you biblically to be able to stand up you with me with that So here's the idea. He says, if somebody wrongs you, you have a choice to be able to overlook that sin, but we do not have the choice to overlook the injustice done to another person. Number two, when the sin hurts himself. You know, God says don't because he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. We understand that that's what sin does, but when we see somebody literally destroying their own lives, destroying their marriages, destroying their relationships, it's time to step up and in love, approach them and talk with them about that to have a sit-down. Now, they may not be receptive, but listen to what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. By the way, and I want to be very, very careful with this, by the way, I mean, this is a responsibility for all of us, but you've got, you and I have got to make sure that whatever it is we're confronting the person about is actual sin and not strangeness. Okay, you got that? And sometimes you don't know the difference between the two. When, when, when you approach me and say, you don't know what you're doing by leading a church because we're not singing the right music. You're in sin. You're crazy, okay? Do you I, I love you, but you're crazy. That's not sin. That's, that's just, it, it might just be strangeness, okay? Uh, but you need to know that it's truthfully sin. But here's what Galatians 6 verses 1 through 2 says. He says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken, here's the key word, overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering yourself lest you also be tempted. The key word there is overtaken by sin. The word overtaken means to be caught. It speaks of somebody who is caught in secret sin. If you somehow discover that somebody is in secret sin and they're doing something that they're trying to remain hidden, but they know it's against God, it's your, it's your responsibility to approach them if they are caught in sin the other concept is that they are caught in a destructive sinful habit that they keep going over and over and over again you've got to approach that person but how do we approach them with humility and in love galatians tells us we need to make sure that because the truth is whatever it is that we're confronting them with there is some element of that own sin that we're guilty of ourselves yes so we need to go humbly and we need to go lovingly. We need to understand this is a reason and a purpose to be able to restore another brother or sister in Jesus Christ. There's a third time that we need to confront one another is when sin hurts the testimony of the church. Go back someday and read uh, Corinthians, uh, chapter, uh, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, there is a man there in the church and he, he just lays the wood to, to this church because what happened is they're allowing sin to occur within the church. There's a man who, who, who is known for, within the church, having sexual relationships with his stepmom. And Paul sits there and goes, you guys are allowing this to go on, and this isn't even, this isn't even accepted within a lost pagan Gentile world. Why in the world would you allow it? It's, it's harming your testimony to a lost and dying world. Deal with this, he says. By the way, l- l- let, me, let me say this. This is why, and this is just free of charge, this is why we emphasize church membership here. Let me explain. Anybody is welcome here. Everyone is welcomed here. Did y'all hear that? Hey, prostitutes, come. Johns, come. Homosexuals, come. All right? Those cheating on their wives, come. All right? Those cheating on their taxes, come. You are welcome. We will embrace you. You come. We want you to hear and know the Jesus that we know. But here's what we do. But you cannot become a member of celebration. Because the key to member of celebration is that we all must do the same exact thing. And that is we all humble ourselves, no matter what our sin, no matter what our struggle, no matter what our backgrounds, no matter what our theological constructs, no matter how we were raised, single family, whatever it is, we all submit together to submit underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ in all things you get that? So what that means is all are welcome, but we can only be members within a church. That's why church membership is so important because when a person sits there and goes, did you know a prostitute was a member of their church? A church should be able to say, well, they're not a member. They're a guest, a welcomed guest to come. We love them. We care for them, but they're actually not a member, and now churches have absolutely, they're devoid. They're throwing away any kind of church membership, and so the church is losing its testimony because there is no line and no call to righteousness. If you believe that, say amen. If not, please hold your peace, all right? So so, so that's it. All right, let's go to the next question. Do I need to seek forgiveness from someone to whom I have had sinful thoughts toward? Let me answer this as carefully as I can. No. All right? I mean, no. All right? You may think because of the Twitter verse and everything else, which I don't do, and I don't even know if I got that whole concept correct, but nobody really cares about what you're thinking all the time. Okay? Just, oh, wow, that sounds unloving, doesn't it? Um,. Is that okay to say that, though? I mean, I don't, I don't think, all right, all right. I'm going to say it anyway. All right, forgive me. <laughs> so um, let's be reconciled. So, so here's, here, here's, 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 a, here's a principle for you. Here it is. Forgiveness is only to be sought when there is actual injury caused by your sin to another person only when there's actual sin, when there's actual injury to that person caused by your sin. So here's the idea. I've actually had somebody, a man come to me and said, Brother Mike, I'm struggling with this. Struggle that every other guy, he says, I've had had lustful thoughts for this man's wife. I really feel like I need to go and repent and confess my sin to them. No! (laughs) Whatever you do! for the love that is all good and pure. Do not do that, right? Don't do that. Confess it with each other or a small group. Talk about that. Confess it to God. Seek repentance. But please, don't go to that man's wife. This cannot end well, yes? By the way, speaking of sharing our thoughts and those types of things, Inevitably, whenever you're preaching on forgiveness and reconciliation, you do a series on this, there's somebody in the crowd, and if this is you, that's okay. Let's just learn from the future. Somebody that begins to begin conv- convicted by the way that they feel about another person. And for some time, six months, one year, whatever it is, they've been harboring bitter feelings towards the person. And to be honest with you, most of the time, it's not sin at all. It's just dislike. They don't like, like the way they part their hair or they don't, their, their untouched shirt, whatever it is, uh, and, and they don't like that. And for a long period of time, they've just become angry. Then they begin to become convicted here, and they're like, you know, we really need to reconcile. And they go to that particular person who is completely clueless that anything has ever been wrong, and they lay this on them. They lay, they lay something like, listen, I've really hated your guts for the last two years. You've driven me crazy. Every time I see you, I just want to, I, I, I just, I, I'd rather stick something in my ocular cavity than see your ugly face. I just need your forgiveness for all of that in the past. That is no, that is no one any good, okay? Now, if you have actually sinned against them in your thoughts, meaning that you need to deal with that between you and God, but you don't need to drag somebody else in to your sin. You guys with me? All right, let me, let me give you another one. As a pastor, I know about these things. It's a little sensitive, all right? Uh, the other thing is, is, is don't go on the other side, don't go over to somebody and grant forgiveness to someone who has no clue that they need to be forgiven. I've had this more times than I can tell you. I have received more forgiveness for people that I never knew that I sinned against as a pastor. It's been the most amazing thing. I remember one person coming up to me, See, this is so therapeutic for me, just so therapeutic. And, uh, and, and so people come up and go, hey, man, I, you know, I've, been, I've been holding bitter feelings towards you. I just want to let you know I forgive you because of something you said two years ago in a sermon series. Really, what, what was it that I said? Well, you said that um, all sinners will bust hell wide open. Kind of hurt my feelings. Well, I don't know what to do there with you, right? I mean, I'm not even sure what to say. I mean, except for to try to be gracious, you know, and say. So, so here's the idea. Don't go seeking forgiveness from someone who you have had sinful feelings towards but have not enacted any sin, okay? Let's make sure we understand that. Don't go extending forgiveness to someone who has no idea that they've ever done anything against you. Does that make sense? So just try to keep it cool there. All right, let's... let's You tracking with me still? A couple more. All right, how do I handle repeat offenders? How do I treat repeat offenders? This is a great question, is it not? Thank you for whoever gave this to me, but how do we treat uh, um, repeat offenders? Very simple, with mercy, with grace, and forgiveness. Okay, so scripture passage, Luke chapter 17, verses three through four, says, pay attention to yourself. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive, he says. Now, you say, well, why do I have to, there's a part of us that doesn't like to sin, to to forgive, you know, uh, 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 repeat offenders. But we ought to, why? Because all of us are repeat offenders. Would you agree? I am sickened with myself of how many times I go to God every week and every day about the same sin. And one day I'm just waiting for him to be able to sit there and go, enough. Enough. I'm I'm not going to extend forgiveness. Amazing thing is he just keeps extending it. He just keeps extending it. I just keep coming back to him. And by the way, that doesn't make me want to go out and sin all the more makes me want to love the God who saved me all the more. I love him more. Are you with me on that? And so what we do is we, we find this, we extend it. But all of us know how this is. This is how it works within a relationship. It's, it's amazing to me how many people within a marriage will sit there and go, yeah, but he does this. And he does this all the time. I'm like, welcome to marriage, right? This is marriage. Forgiving and forbearing consistently with one another. Forgive them. Now, there, I think there's a question behind that question, don't you? And I think, I, think, I think here's the question. I think the question behind the question is, what if a person's repentance is insincere demonstrated by their willful sinning? You get what they're asking? Uh, what they're asking is, okay, what, okay, we understand that we're supposed to forgive all the time, but what if the person that's actually seeking forgiveness really isn't truly repentant at all and it's evidenced in their continual perpetual sin and to keep doing the same exact thing over and over, the, the key on there is purposeful, Okay. And what I would say to you is this I think that we should be understanding that the Bible assumes that because we are to love, and it commands us to love one another, that, listen to this, we are to assume the best of each other. Some of you just need to hear that point. You just need to assume the best of your spouse. You just need to assume the best of other people. It's part of your problem inwardly is you immediately go to the negative. You immediately think of everything that is bad. You see things. Everything is black. Everything is wrong. What the Bible says is love calls us to love each other, believe each other. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. It says, Love bears all, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, with that said, We must also be carefully discerning. There are some that interpret Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, and they say, hey, listen, the offender, no matter how many times they are approached, if the person comes and says, I'm sorry and I repent, you must always forgive and seek reconciliation with that. Is that a true teaching? In one sense, yes. In another sense, which I think we understand, no. Okay? I don't think there's anything here in Luke chapter 17 that that suggests that the person who is sinning and seeking repentance is doing it on purpose. It's struggle. They're struggling in their flesh. We know what that's like, yes? Would you read me that? I don't think he's talking about a guy who specifically knows he's sinning, yet he wants to escape the consequence of his sin so he can continue to sin. Therefore, he comes back to the person and just keeps seeking forgiveness. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, with no true inclination, with no true desire, with no true intention to cease the sinful actions that they're doing. You know, this is unfortunate because you see this sometimes in marriages between husbands and wives. They'll use passages like this uh, against them. By the way, if you're using Scripture to bludgeon somebody or to manipulate something, not a good thing. But these are the type of passages that we see in marriages that people will use. They'll come to them and say, see, you have to forgive me. The Bible says if I come to you uh, umpteen times, you have to forgive me. You have to reconcile. See what the Bible ultimately says. Let me just say this. A person who takes part in deliberate sin against another person and feigns repentance is in deep, deep spiritual trouble. If you're the type of person who sits there and says, I'm going to use Scripture to be able to to for me to eliminate any consequence of sin that I have, I have so that I may continue on sinning, then you've probably have as 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 first excuse me as first John three says you've never seen God nor do you know God. That's not the heart of a regenerate believer, and so it, it it would be foolish for us to accept a person professing profession of repentance, especially when they are deliberately taking part in sin. With that said. We must always be eager to forgive and reconcile with those that have wronged us unless, unless, and we have to be so careful here, unless there is some very compelling reason to doubt the offender's repentance at all. Next question. I I need to hurry. Next question. Must a person forget the offense to truly forgive the offense? Must a person uh, 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 must, or sorry, must a person forget the offense to truly forgive the offense? Let me answer this very quickly, no. You cannot cause your mind to deliberately forget something. Do you, do you understand that? You, you can't do it. In fact, the, the, the more egregious the sin that is committed against you, the harder it is for you to be able to get it out of your mind. Would you agree with that? Very difficult for you to be able to get it out of your mind. Listen, forgiveness is not forgetting the offense in that sense that there's no memory of it. And people will come back and they'll say about God, they'll say, but doesn't God even says that he's gonna forget all of your sins. Cast as far as the east as the west. They, they, they speak of passages like Hebrews chapter eight, verse 12, where it says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. And they look at that and they say, see, he says he'll remember them no more. But what is the passage actually saying? The passage is not saying that God has no memory of the event or of the sin itself. How do we know that? Because the Bible teaches that God is omniscient. You can't, which means he knows all things. You can't know all things and be forgetful. That makes sense, right? Okay, so what does it mean when God says that he will remember them no more? It means that he will no longer cause them to mind. In other words, he will never bring those up and hold those up against you. That's what forgiveness is. By the way, that's really the cost of forgiveness that we talked about, isn't it? Is living with the knowledge of how somebody has harmed you But in grace and mercy, treating them as though they never have, that's the cost. That's consistent with the Christian life of what God has called us to because it's most evident in Jesus Christ and the gospel of going to the cross and dying and bearing the affliction and the wrath of God on our behalf for the sake of forgiveness. It's a picture of the gospel. Here's another question. How can I learn to forgive myself? This is the last question. How can I learn to forgive myself? I forget. When are we supposed to be out of this thing? Okay, anyway, we're, 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 closing, we're closing up here quickly. Um, how can I learn to forgive myself? That's a very common question that I hear people ask. And let me answer that the only way I know how. Let me answer it biblically. I'm gonna take everything that the Bible says about you and instructing you to forgive yourself and let me share it with you, all right? Uh, the problem is the Bible says nothing of instructing us to forgive ourselves, It's such a common terminology. It's what we use all the time within our churches and amongst people and Christian people. Hey, I know God's forgiven me. I just need to be able to learn to forgive myself. Nothing in the Bible speaks about forgiving yourself. You say, well, where does this come from? Well, it comes from uh, really a contemporary culture that is all about self-esteem. We love to feel good about ourselves, right? And if you don't feel good about yourself, then, you know, bad things happen. That's when you steal tennis shoes. If you don't feel good about it, if you have good self-esteem, you know. It's, it's like school systems, you know, a lot of people debate, and some school systems have gone away. Let's not give them a grade. A grade's going to classify them. You know, if they fail, you don't want to give them an F. That may give them low self-esteem. What we, you know, this is, this is true. Out of the top ten uh, nations in the world, academically, we rank number ten, Right? And uh, and so we're 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 the lowest academically in the top ten most prosperous nations, the last place. But we're number one in feeling good about ourselves. Isn't that great? So it's kind of like, hey, listen, you, for, you listen, you fail that miserably, but you're a great guy. You need to be proud. You're the best failure ever, right? I, I don't even know how, how you contemplate this, but this is the world in which we ultimately live. And so we're not trying to, listen, we don't want a theology that is based by what the world believes and what it teaches. You say, why doesn't the Bible teach anything about us forgiving ourselves? Here's why. Because it assumes, it assumes a teaching from Genesis to the book of Revelation. That the creator of all things, by whom all things were created, through whom all things were created, and for whom all things created, that his ultimate pardon and forgiveness for you would be enough and would be sufficient. That would be enough. Say, well, how do I forget about it? Maybe that's it. Maybe not forgiving myself, but forgetting about it. Keep focusing on the grace and the truth of the gospel and God's ultimate forgiveness and restoration. That will do it sooner or later. You know, there was one more question. I didn't actually have this up here, but there's one more question asked, and I want to use this to kind of wrap this up. The question that somebody somebody had written me an email, and I'm so appreciative of all the emails that I've gotten, but in this one, uh, what they begin to, and and I understand their heart, they they kept writing all these horrible things that had happened to people. One thing after another, horrible, horrific uh, um, sins that had been committed against them. And she says, I just need to know, what do I say to these people? I say to these people to encourage them to be able to forgive such egregious offenses and sins to them. I didn't know how to respond completely, and I still don't to a certain extent, because if they're an unbeliever, I can be of no help to them forgiving someone else. I really, I have nothing to tell them. So what I would probably do with that person is lay off their need for forgiveness, to forgive others, and to begin to introduce to them the gospel so that they begin to get a sense of their need of their own forgiveness. See, when you and I, we got to, Ashley, why don't you come on up? I, I, I think what we've done through this whole thing is, is we've gone through this whole series in five weeks, and we get to the very end of it, and people are saying, I still struggle with forgiveness, and I get it. I want to let you know I do not want for one moment to, for you to think that I am belittling the sin that is against you. I know that it has been harsh. Sin always is. It has been horrible. It has been terrible. But if you refuse to forgive, it's going to cost at least your fellowship with God to be in community with him. It may be a demonstration, as John says in his epistle, it may be a demonstration that you are not born again. But I think there's something else. I think whenever I have a tendency of not to be as quickly forgiving as I ought to be, it's because of one cause. I have failed to see the depth of my depravity and light of God's mercy, in the height of God's mercy and grace. I fail to see that no matter what sin imaginable that somebody can have against me, it pales in comparison to my guilt and my debt to God. And whatever grace I extend is abysmally pathetic compared to the abundance of grace and mercy that God continues not only to give me in my salvation, but extends to me each in every day that I breathe. You got that? So maybe this morning, maybe what we need is just to sit back and reflect on his forgiveness. Maybe through all of this, maybe you have come and you've said, listen, I came here, somebody invited me to this series because I want to learn how to forgive my husband or my friend or somebody who's done something wrong with me. Well, look, I'm going to get to the point. You may be unwilling to be able to do it unless you have first received forgiveness unless you've recognized that you are worse off, that you are more guilty than anybody who has ultimately sinned against you before a holy God and the righteous wrath of God is bearing down on you for a day of judgment and you have to escape that. But God in his love, even though he's just in his love, sent his only son to bear the weight of your sin and to pay it and to pay it. And when you begin to understand that, repent of your sins and accept that as a reality in your life and submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Say, your way, not my way. God forgives you, restores you, makes you a child of his own. It's an amazing thing. Let me end with this verse. Colossians chapter 2, beginning verse 13. Paul writes, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his illegal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your reconciliation. Help us to take it and to bend it outwards to those who are around us. God, give us wisdom. Give us the heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? Would you stand? Ashley's gonna sing. I want you to sing. I want you to pray. I want you to do business with God. I'm gonna be down here if you wanna talk. You wanna know more about Christ, wanna be here, tell you about that. Just, Just respond to what God's doing in your heart at this time, okay?